The following is the first half of our episode on Believe. Our special guest is Chris Lozniak. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. What's our theme for today going to be? Believe. Why do you think that's an important theme for this? Because the show is all about it? We should start by saying spoilers. But at the beginning of the show, the sign is put up and then referenced and then becomes a part of the plot Mm -hmm. and disappears for a while and then comes back to be an important thing in the show. Before this, I was listening to the Richmond Till We Die podcast with special guest Diana Butler Bass. She makes the case for the idea that the belief sign is a character in its own right. The following is a scene from season one, episode 10. So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. It's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know? I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? It's a question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? Now, I don't need y'all to answer that question for me. But I do want you to answer that question for yourselves. Right now. Do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want you all to circle up with me right now. One of the big ideas, it seems like, in that talk is do you believe in miracles? Do teachers have to believe in miracles? What are, what, are, what are the miracles teachers have to believe in? Talking with Xavier, my son who's a first-year art teacher, there is a hesitancy to believe that everybody can join in and participate. Almost a, a disenchantment. When I hear that, I think about the miracle that I've seen in classrooms is this one that Ellen Keene taught me. I watched Ellen Keene in a ballroom with a bunch of students she had just met because she was presenting to the Michigan Reading Association conference. And she asked the student something and the student said, I don't know. Which has happened to right. all of us. Right, yes. right. And her response was, pretend like you did know. Imagine that you did know, what would you say? Right, and my first reaction to that is always like, what difference could that possibly make? And yet, it made all the difference. And it allowed that student space to speculate or to feel safe or whatever, and the student able to share. I thought, one-time miracle, right? So I'm teaching in a fifth grade classroom, not my classroom, and we're talking about fractions. And and I asked a student, you know, how did you get that? You're like, I don't know. And I tried it, and it worked. It freaking worked. It was a miracle. The, the, The student ended up being able to explain exactly what he did, imagine what he did. I said, well, that was great imagination. And his response was to me, well, actually, that's what I did.
And again, it freed it up. And I know you've used it actually with your college students. With college students, for kindergartners, with everything in between. Yeah. But it feels like a miracle. It does. Right? And and it's simply asking a question, asking students to sort of believe in their themselves. Yeah. And thinking about it in this context, it, it makes me wonder if it lets the student know that I think they have something to say. Right. That I believe in what they're thinking. Right. Of, and its value to the class. Back to, obviously, how do you help teachers develop these beliefs in their students, in themselves, in the content that support and motivate them to try to get better? What I said to him in the moment was think about experiences, that he has evidence that what he's doing is meaningful, um, that he can engage learners, that what learners are doing is benefiting them. It's so easy always to think about examples where things didn't work out, Mm -hmm. right? That we can do that to the exclusion of those miracles that we've seen. I mean, Ellen Keene has talked about a miracle as well. She's also talked about how um, she'll cut people off in the middle of their work, and they and their response is, "Wait, we're not done." <laughs> How great would that be, right? Yeah. To have them and and one of our uh, former colleagues, Rebecca Walker, would say the exact same thing. You know, the best time mm-hmm. to interrupt somebody is when they're in the middle of their work. Just right? to ask, more. yeah, yeah. they want more, and they they're able to ask, "What are you talking about right now?" Something was it you or she who used to talk about something for you to think about on the way home. Yeah, that, that was something, but I'm sure I got it from her, or we yeah. got it from the same source at Western. I think, you know, we, we posit these norms from some of this work on complex instruction we've been nice doing. Nice connection, yeah. Right, so I've been thinking about the difference between, I think part of my problem before was that I didn't necessarily separate community agreements and norms. Mm. And norms, I'm, not, I'm now thinking of as how how what it looks like to me when the class is doing mathematics mm. or engaged in learning. Mm-hmm. And the community agreements are feedback from the learners about what do they need in order for those norms to be possible. Oh, interesting. Right? I, I haven't done enough intentional teaching of group work before. Mm-hmm. Right? Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I've kind of washed my hands of like, oh, maybe that's not something I can make happen with this group. I, mm-hmm. I didn't believe, mm-hmm. right? So, but if I really believe they can, then it's a question of, well, what experiences do they need, mm-hmm. right? What feedback do they should, they should they get? I believe in group work, but I don't always believe in some of the, the things that go around it. But when I see it work, it's like, holy cow, this is a miracle. And the, right, I've always had group-worthy problems, mm-hmm. I think, right? So they're not doing some kind of meaningless activity. Right. But I haven't necessarily designed it so they need each other. Right. And in connection with, like, the football team, mm-hmm. right, you need uh, forwards, you need defensemen, you need the goalie, right? right. So the, those players need each other. They right. cannot, one person, as they discover, with Zava, right, mm-hmm. can, cannot do everything. The following is a scene from season three, episode five. No, no, hold on. Hey, knock it off, okay? We're not doomed. No one is doomed. But bumper catch? Yes, you're right. It is a sign. I agree. Yeah. 
Fact is, it's just a sign. All right, guys, listen to me. Belief doesn't just happen because you hang something up on a wall. All right? It comes from in here, you know? And up here, down here. Only problem is we all got so much junk floating through us, a lot of times we end up getting in our own way. On crap like envy or fear, shame. I don't want to mess around with that anymore. You know what I mean? Do you? No, Chris. No. Do you? No. Oh, me neither. Well, now you know what I want to mess around with? The belief that I matter. You know? Regardless of what I do or don't achieve. Or the belief that we all deserve to be loved. Whether we've been hurt or maybe we've hurt somebody else. Or what about the belief of hope? Yeah, that's what I want to mess with. Believing that things can get better. That I can get better. That we will get better. believe in yourself, to believe in one another, man, that's, that's fundamental to being alive. And look, yo, hey, if you can do that, if each of you can truly do that, can't nobody rip that apart. So yeah, they're, they're not feeling good about who they are. And so, so when you were talking before, that's what made me think about that sign is we've got lots of students who have that same stuff swirling around, getting in the way of them being successful. Right. And then we can invite them in, right? Mm -hmm. Our class might be the one where they start to believe in themselves. Right. Right. And that's got to be more than a sign. We have a Facebook page, and we've asked teachers to post pictures of their classroom. A lot of them have the believe sign in their classroom. What does that mean? So what does believe mean in the classroom that helps students, teachers, everyone get the stuff that is inside them that gets in the way of their success? and helps them to believe in themselves, to believe in each other, to believe in the beauty of mathematics? That's really a fundamental question, yeah. right? Much like what Ted is saying, right? So he's saying it, it's not about football, it's about what it means to be alive. Right. And I think that for us, it's what it means to be alive in the classroom, in our right. profession. Yeah, and, make, and us make progress and make a space for students to make progress. Mm-hmm. This seems like a good spot to let's, we've yammered, but <laughs> let's, let's listen to what our guests have to say. Yeah. I'd like to welcome Chris Lesniak to the Teaching Like Ted Lasso podcast. One of my favorite uh, teachers and such a delightful person. We're really glad you could join us. Oh, th- thanks for having me. So glad to be could here. You, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, like you said, I'm Chris Lesniak, math teacher for a long time. It's actually, this would have been my 20th year in the classroom teaching mm. high school. I taught in New York City public schools for almost a decade. I taught in LA for a while. 
And uh, then last month, I recently moved to Ohio with my husband. And I just took this year off because I do a lot of work with schools as a consulting and speaking and building some curriculum things I, along with my like whole debate math world, which we'll get into a little bit later, I think. I just really want to build classrooms that have more student voice and feel less like a STEM and more like a humanities type experience for students. What do you see as the, the difference? They're not that different. I, I think we were too quick to split them up, but I I think too often it's easy in math class to focus on getting the right answer and just like having a number and uh, versus like the problem solving and the asking a good question. Like if you think about like three act tasks and things, like getting students to really explore and play and and ask things that have opinions on them. Like I have some great projects with debate math where we get opinions and it's not much different. Like their final product is not much different than writing a essay for English class. Um, there's some more numbers involved, of course, but it's still like, I want to hear your reasoning and I want to know which, what argument you're taking or what stance you're taking and why and how you think that will be the best for this person or the best for the world or climate change or whatever, whatever topic you want to tackle, big or small. Just I, I want to use math in the context of, of day-to-day life and, and real world and having opinions. And I, I just think when we focus it as like this separate world from humanities, then we take away like the reading and the reasoning and the writing and the, all the fun parts about math that, that for me, at least that are fun. And we focus too much on just like, can we, can we quickly and efficiently get a correct answer and just move on? I love that approach. That it just, like you were saying, it's not a real division. It's just the way people treat it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just want it to be more, I mean, this is my whole thing with my debate math and my debate math podcast. I see everything as more of a gray area. Everything is like, yes to both sides is, is kind of how I answer almost every question. I think everything <laughs> is is nuanced and, and I don't like to take strong stances on one side. I mean, there are some issues that, of course, uh, I, I will take a strong stance on. But in general, like most things, there's a lot more nuance and complication to them. And I want to lean into that. I want in math class, I want to help students understand that about the world and not see the world as black and white and everything has a right answer all the time. We typically ask people, it's not a requirement to be on the show, obviously, but <laughs> but if they've, if they've watched Ted Lasso and uh, you are somebody who has watched it? I absolutely have. Yeah, I've seen every episode, all three seasons at, at this point. It seems like they're not going to go further, but fingers crossed, I'd love to see more. I'm a big fan. I laugh, I cry along with it. I love just like a, it's a heartfelt show that also makes you laugh. And I'm the biggest fan of the team owner, Rebecca. Her character is my favorite to just follow along in her little side journey. Well, she maybe had the biggest character growth of anybody in the in the show. Yeah. And the the yeah. Perfor- performer was so amazing. She's amazing. And yeah, yeah I think she almost, like the first episode, she's almost like a, comically villain character and then she really is not at all that by the end and I, <laughs> I love her journey and I just I love yeah her little uh, ups and downs and she's been great and I also love the rest of the characters in the whole show like I, yeah. we love it so much I, I think my husband and I have seen at least the first two seasons all the way through twice but mm-hmm. I think we've only seen the last season once so far <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know when 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 I'll be ready to go back and rewatch the last season So being somewhat familiar with the show, you know, Ted often comes up with off the wall questions to get to know people better. And and this one is actually one from my classroom. So first day of class, I I start uh, where the students pose questions to get to know each other. And this one came up and the energy level spiked immediately as soon as it was posed. People divided up almost evenly into camps for the two different answers. 
it's a little more violent than some of these questions might be. But if you <laughs> if you had to fight, would you rather fight a one horse-sized duck or one hundred duck-sized horses? Uh, I I am a lover, not a fighter. I'm not going <laughs> to fight. I mean, in either case, I'd run away or try to get along with them. <laughs> Let's all make peace. I think the hundred duck-sized horses sounds adorable and <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't imagine needing to fight them because I think they just want to cuddle up with me and my dogs and and I have a hundred new pets that are uh nice and small <laughs> I, I, I horses are great but I don't want to take care of a full-size horse so I, I'll take care of a hundred duck-sized horses I'll go that <laughs> <laughs> all righty my argument to them was that a horse-sized duck is basically a dinosaur yeah yeah so you should you should be thinking about dealing with the dinosaur it sounds way too big to deal with and I'm just imagining like stomping like a giant, kind of like shaking the ground as it walks. <laughs> Let's shrink yeah. things down to size. <laughs> yeah, and I hadn't thought about them as pets. I had a friend that used to raise miniature horses, and they were like, you know, they were smaller than a Great Dane. She'd have them. She'd have them in the house, and they were, okay. they were very, uh, they were very pet-like. Yeah, I, and I can start a whole adoption agency, and people can come uh, <laughs> adopt one, <laughs> take some of them off my hands. <laughs> oh, very good. That's the best resolution to this question I've heard yet. Okay. So our theme for this episode is Believe, and we thought about you immediately, both because of your role in Lonnie Horn's book, Motivated, which is up behind you, and what you mentioned a little bit in your introduction, Math Debate, that that seems kind of centered around belief. How have you know, like your beliefs about learners kind of mattered to your teaching? Uh, they matter a lot. I would say they've evolved a lot over the years. I think back a lot to like 20 years ago, I, I was always a good math student and I, I went through grad school in math and then became a teacher. And I was like, I'm young and energetic and quirky. I'm just going to make math fun and just lecture at kids and they're going to love it and it'll be fine. And of course that didn't work. <laughs> it worked for maybe some kids, but over time I really learned, like I really want to reach every student and I've learned and, and I now believe that I can have an effect on every student's learning. Like every single one, I want to help them all learn. Like the, maybe they won't all get an A plus on the calculus test at the end, but they will all grow in their understanding of math both in like the standards of the content and the standards of math practice. Like I want both things to be happening to some degree. And so I just, I, I think about, I really believe all learners can learn math and, and that can look different for each person in my classroom. I, I really believe everyone has something to share, has great ideas. I think they're, I value their voice. And I think that has been a journey for me over over a couple of decades here of teaching, but it's where I teach now, like from from that with with my heart, and I I want that to be a part of our classroom culture, and I want students to understand that of each other as well. Like every voice is valued, and so I'm not looking for the smart student. Let me put that in quotes to just you know give us the answers so we can move on. I want to know what everyone, and I want them to care about what their classmates have to share, so that we really have a community discussion like i said more like a humanities like a, a book study or a book club than hmm. uh than a math class about answer getting and that really leads to kind of where i was i was hoping you'd talk about about kind of what the learners believe about themselves it's not always easy in math especially because students some students have been told they don't belong for whatever reason from not necessarily even teachers like some, maybe teachers but 
it could be parents, could be friends, you know, could be just some social media, movie, TV, something tells them they're not one of these math people. They're not a mather. So sometimes it takes a little bit of extra work in the math class to really help students feel invited in. Of course, there's always some students who just love math and, and jump right in and feel a part of it, but I want all of them. So I focus a lot on relationship building. I think about like Sarah Vanderwerf's name tense at the beginning of the year and where I, students answer a question to me and I write back to every single student. And yes, it's a lot for the first week of school, but it's just one thing I commit to doing every year that like we have a little side written conversation. I also open most classes with some kind of discussion or debate, which could be a two, three minute, you know, what's the best pizza topping? doesn't have to be like an in-depth math concept that we're debating at that moment. But I make it clear that I want to hear from everyone. And doesn't mean, necessarily mean you're standing up in front of the whole class talking to everyone. That 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 is a whole other layer of anxiety for students, the public speaking <laughs> part. But I want to come by the group and hear their thoughts and 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 just listen. I, I I think listening is my biggest skill that I've improved upon as a teacher. And I just want to hear their thoughts. And I think just listening and nodding and being like, wow, that's really cool. And just leaving it at that without any feedback really sends a signal to students that I want to hear their thoughts and they're not being judged for their thoughts. Like it is a conversation. That's interesting. I think about the name tense too, that, that like writing instructors will talk about one of the most important things is just to let the students know that you read it. Of any kind of marks and as you're responding to students on the name tense, I just finished doing that this week too. When they open it up and they see that you've kind of responded to them, there, yes. there's just kind of interesting shift that happens. Sometimes the response is just, wow. <laughs> and that's all I have to say. Like, I don't have much to say to yeah. a, an answer about I don't know, the craziest thing they've ever done or the best pizza topping or whatever. Sometimes I do have a response. I, it just depends on what, what they wrote. But just, yeah, just acknowledging that I took the time, I think, is a huge part. And I so I want to do that in writing with the name tense. And I want to do that in the classroom discussion with just listening to them and having everyone participate in some, some conversations that don't necessarily have to be mathy, especially at the start of the year. I don't want the math anxiety to keep students from joining the, the classroom conversation. So I want to make even just small moments where there's non-mathy debate questions happening, but I think it's still mathy in some sense because I'm having students build arguments, which is something we do in math class. So I'm building up to that, but doing it in a very low bar of entry, safe feeling way of just, yeah. you know, what's the best TV show out there or something. With debate, kind of where some of where you're headed isn't known for being safe, right? It feels, you know, some people's perception of debate is that it's very high stakes. Yeah. And my, uh, so I have a podcast, Debate Math, and my, my co-host and I talk a lot about this. He's learned from me and something I didn't realize that that I believed, but he said he, all the time, Rob says he's learned that I don't see debate as this like high stress competitive thing. Like there is a world of competitive debate, mm -hmm. but we see debate as just a structured conversation. Like in a debate, when everyone has an opening statement, that is that everyone gets a chance to just speak what's on their mind. And that's what happens in math class. Like there's no winners. There's, you know, there's no competition here. So there's no stress, but there's just a structure to it so that everyone gets to talk and everyone has to listen so that, that when there's a response part, 
if there is a response part of the discussion, that you're ready to respond to someone. Which is means also that they're listening. Yes, yes. And I want to build their listening skills as well. Because I know as a student, I was not a good listener. I was just, how do I, how do I get my points? And then <laughs> let me just zone out and get to the next class. Well, because that was that was the game, right? That was the way yeah. it was presented to us. Yeah. And I learned how to play the game pretty well. So that's all I cared about. So what's kind of the effect you've seen over kind of kind of starting with these small, inviting, low stakes questions to what would be kind of partway along the journey, right? So once once students are are involved in the classroom, they believe that they've got a voice, they're listening to their classmates' voice, what kinds of things are happening in class then? I'd say if you came to me, to my classroom, you know, like two, three months into the school year, you would have a hard time finding me because <laughs> I'm just floating around. So I, mean, I believe in a lot of Peter Lodal's research. I, for a long time, I've been doing, have students at the board, you know, have randomized grouping that, that, are, that I change up regularly. So students are all comfortable when you come in my classroom talking with each other. They are, I'm trying as often as I can to give more open-ended problems, more thinking problems or, or problems where they have to ask a question and then come up with some answer. So they are working together. They're talking, they're at the boards, they're at their desk, they're moving around, they're trying things out. Yeah. And I'm somewhere around listening to a group or helping a group with a, a question they might have or something like that. And so I'm not as young as I used to be, but in my early, early years of teaching, I, I looked a lot like the students. And so you have a really hard time finding me then. It's a little easier now, but still I'm, I'm moving around, squatting down, you know, just really trying to be with the students and be present with them. And just, I really want to listen for their thinking. And I think it's taken me a long time to figure out how to, like what that really means and to not just say, oh, I think they know this now, I'm ready to move on, but like to ask one more question or just to listen for 30 more seconds and then I can find out, oh, there is a little gap there or there's something they're missing that I can help them with. And so I really wanna hear where they are, what they're thinking as they're going through things with their partners and be able to nudge them in the right direction or ask a further question to deepen their understanding or something along those lines to really, really help keep them growing in, in some way. And, and in some ways, like I was saying before, everyone has their own journey. Some students, even in my like pre-calc class, are still making sense of fractions or percents or something, you know, that they're still like, it's all coming back in different ways. And so I just want to keep adding to their knowledge and understanding of all the math topics that I can as they come up. Yeah, there. well, there's so many things they've been told to do without having made sense of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you can get them to think in a, a sense-making way, like fractions come up and they'll be like, well, why do we do that? Which which wasn't ever a question maybe they asked before. Yeah, I I teach a lot of pre-calc over the years. I have taught a lot of pre-calc over the years. The unit circle is full of fraction relationships. And some students, understandably, just don't know that a fourth is less than a half and like a fourth of pi and a half of pi. Like the, the don't. And sometimes it clicks when you relate it to the circle and the degrees and they start to make sense of it. And you get this aha moment from them. But you're like, <laughs> this was like a middle school topic. <laughs> but yeah, they never really had it or just had the time to sit with it and make sense of it themselves sometimes. Like just mm -hmm. really as a teacher, just to close my mouth and just listen and kind of see where they are and try to be... A, this is hard to do and it's not, I'm not always good at it, but try to be like there at the right time, like just give them just enough to keep nudging them that that like zone of proximal development kind of idea. It's really interesting to me that you have so much of this happening in conversation because I think that 
you know, when I'm talking with a student, it's harder to get to that spot than when they're talking to each other. Like it very when they're talking with each other, it very it very naturally goes towards like newfound understanding and what they still have questions about. Mm-hmm. I mean, that happens too for me. <laughs> but like I said, the listening, like and 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 the group work combined. So I'm hearing them, like you're saying, talk to each other, and that's when I can maybe overhear something and maybe butt in, maybe not even, and just kind of let it be for a minute and and see where it goes. But yeah, yeah I agree that them talking to each other they're more open about all the ideas they're like checking their answer with me but I want to get away from that and I think I do if I just say less and less and listen more and (laughs) and really I really try to present math as not having a right answer often like I yes I know you can all you know find the intersection of two lines from various methods but my question is not what the intersection point is because that's kind of boring to do my question is what do you think is the best method for this problem to solve it with? And there's an opinion there. And so now I can hear what they really understand about those methods as they talk about their favorite method for that. And and I can see where maybe some gaps are as they're talking about their opinions. So how do you find those debate questions? Just moving from uh, what is the answer to how are we going to get there or why? You know, why do you think so? But how do you find like the the topics where you really think students are going to kind of be able to engage in this in this kind of reasoning you're looking for? Like all teaching, it's a little bit of trial and error. <laughs> I've done this for a long time. So I have uh, some knowledge of things that have worked, at least for me. They may not work for every teacher and every personality and so on. A lot of it's trial and error, but I, I have a speech and debate background from when I was in high school and I did some coaching of it when I was teaching in New York. So I have the mix of math teaching and speech and debate world in my brain. Something I do a lot is mix those two worlds together. And so coming up with debate questions is a, a little bit easier for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of my work I do as a consultant now is helping schools think about how to ask more debatable questions and how to make math more nuanced and complicated and 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 something that leads to more discussion instead of just what is the answer and and moving forward and certainly i think your book is a good first step <laughs> i mean yes my book yeah. my website you can go to those places and get some ideas my blog it's always just like here are some examples for this particular topic or this whatever and i think it's really i wouldn't say easy but very possible to come up with lots of debatable questions for any topic. And that's where I work with teachers on. But I, I, yeah, if you look at some of my examples, maybe it'll start to make sense to you and you can come up with some of your own. I do a grassroots workshop with teachers over the summer about debate math. And I, I just finished this last workshop for the summer. And a lot of teachers came up with like, how do I make more debate and more debate questions? And we talked a lot about something I really think about, and this is in the debate world, not even just math world, is first of all, if it's, if it's gonna be debatable, you have to imagine that students will have different answers to it. Like you have to imagine at least two different student answers. And that's like kind of like the five practices, anticipating what students will say kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you can think about your students in your classroom, when you come up with a question, do you see this as something they would answer more than one thing to? And, and maybe not, or maybe you can nudge them in their direction, or maybe you need to change the question. I love which one doesn't belong as a great debatable. There's four four quadrants, four pictures, four fractions, whatever, four things there are. Everything has a reason why it doesn't belong with the other three. But I, I was talking with a teacher recently who tried it and every single student picked the same answer. 
Oh, wow. So she thought it was going to have multiple answers, but her class uh, didn't. <laughs> and so we had kind of brainstormed ways to kind of come back at the problem again so that students will say more than one thing mm -hmm. and, or how to build that routine in the classroom so students get in the habit of wanting to have a different answer or trying to have a different answer. Oh, that's interesting, right? Like the kind of building that desire in, in students to to have the fresh take. I often, when I work with teachers, sometimes I do a, which one doesn't belong and I get like the same two answers, right? And so like, okay, we got different ones. But like, I will pause the room and just say, hey, you all have two minutes to talk to your neighbor. No one mentioned the one in the bottom left. I want to come up. I want to hear who has the best answer for the bottom left one and give them, give them that think time. Like, I think think time is really important if I want students to, to talk in math class in, in so many ways. So there's often think time before a debate. I, I'm like forcing them to think about a different thing. And I do that a lot with my math classes too like i great i know you all love to use the quadratic formula but i want you to solve this by completing the square and what does that even mean oh my gosh i don't know go to the board <laughs> try something see what you can do but i'm gonna i'm gonna force a different way and then you tell me which one you like better i feel like you're spying on my classroom we were working on james tanton approach of completing the square okay yeah so they were up whiteboarding right working on it yeah yeah and and i was imagining the kind of the short little thing but because they were in conversation with each other it just went places where i couldn't imagine they started problem posing is like, well, why are we doing it this way instead of another way? And well, yeah. is there a problem that we could do the uh, this way that we couldn't do the other way? And so they're looking for examples. And, yes. then one, and then one group wrote up the standard form quadratic and they were like, well, could we just solve this with that? And, <laughs> and then they were astounded. They were like, wait, this looks so familiar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you just discovered the quadratic formula. <laughs> yeah, but actually, even even more general, because they started off with ax squared plus bx plus c equals d, and oh. so they, and so they came up with a formula for that situation, and they were like, "Why does it look different? Would it simplify?" Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's I, that's the things I love. Like, let them play and problem pose and talk, and and as you float around, you can just really get a sense of who's where in their understanding, yeah. or at least a glimpse. And there's so much with the whiteboarding, so much for them to notice about kind of what the other groups are doing. And it's, it's, yes. it feels like a very low risk way for if they don't know what to do, there's so many sources of, of possible inspiration. Absolutely. Like I, Peter's, Dr. Lodal's research is all about how quick they got into the problem by standing and, you know, the vertical non-permanent services. But the added benefit is that they look around the room and they just, if they're stuck, they can like peek at someone and be like, oh, I, I see something. Like they just needed that little nudge. And I, I think about one of my passions is escape rooms. And I think about often my husband and I and some of our best friends when we do them together, there are puzzles where I'm just stuck and I needed someone to say, Hey, did you notice that this and this kind of match? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, yes. Okay. Now I can put it all together. I have the whole, I was like <laughs> almost there, but I just, you know, I'm not dumb for not seeing that. I just like, didn't, my brain didn't make that connection at that moment. I just needed one more voice or one more person to kind of help me make a connection that I wasn't seeing. And then I'm great to go. And so I think about that a lot in math class, like, like it's okay to peek at your neighbors or some group across the room your brain just didn't click on this idea yet or, or even how to get started or that that you're supposed to graph it or whatever and that that glancing around the room is so helpful that something you can't get when you're when everyone's sitting down since you've seen the show so the 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 role of both the believe sign and the the idea of believe 
does that relate to kind of these things you're talking about about a classroom? Yeah, I've never put it that way, but yes, I, I'd say I I believe in students. I want them to know that I believe in them, and I want them to believe in themselves as well as each other. And like that's the culture that I want to create. I I think everyone can learn math. I think everyone's voice is valued. I think everyone has ideas to share and and is able to explore the problems that we're doing and. I really want to keep reinforcing that they are valued, they belong. I believe in them and and they should believe in each other. There's no like one great math student in the class. Like we're all good math people and we're just going to play around with things and see what happens. Excellent. In the show notes, we'll have links to your book, to your website, to your podcast. And I strongly <laughs> encourage people to look at all those things. Is there anything else you'd want people to know about you or your work or... Go to lesniak.com and you can find stuff about me or contact me. I'd love to talk. I will say like my art debate math podcast is, so I focus a lot on students, getting students to debate and find nuance, but our podcast is is helping teachers lean into nuance. So should you give homework? Uh, some people very, very feel very strongly yes or no, but I think the right answer is really more nuanced than that. It depends on the school and situation, how much you're giving, what you mean by homework. And so we record discussions with great, thoughtful teachers that kind of have strong opinions on one side or the other, but are willing to like, to talk it out uh, in, a, in a debate setting and find some common ground along the way. So we're always looking for people, always looking for topics. If anybody wants to debate as an adult with other teachers, <laughs> uh, hit me up and we can do that as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of amazed because, you know, sometimes I'll be listening to your show and I know the teacher. And, and and so I'm delighted to hear him, but you do such a great job at finding guests. You know, the even the people I haven't heard of before, just great voices. I love, I love, that was a lot of Dave's idea in starting this podcast was we just wanted to magnify teachers' voices, you know, to, yes, yes. You know, to hear pe- pe- teachers talking about what matters to them. And, and yes. I feel like that comes across so clearly on your podcast. Thank you. We try really hard to find new voices. And I, I want to shout out teachers because they're so awesome and they work so hard. And I want to celebrate and magnify their voices for sure. I will say it's sometimes tough because people get intimidated by the idea of a debate. But mm-hmm. It sounds like a little formal, like they have to be an expert on homework to have a debate about homework or something. And so we can't always get someone to join us as much as I want to. <laughs> So yeah, I, I would love to have everyone on and I just, it's, I, I work on some pep talks with some people and sometimes I do get the big <laughs> join and others are like, you know, I'm just, this is, I don't, I don't think I, I'm going to do it and they back out, which is totally fine. No hard feelings at all. I understand. But yeah, I, I just, please come people come. I want to hear thoughts and I want to debate and we're starting to record season three now. And I really want to lean into really some controversial stuff because mm-hmm. education has become such a politicized, polarized world right now. And I'm worried a a big part of this podcast mission is our world is so polarized. I want us to not be as in our math community or teacher community or whoever listens to the podcast. And so we're going to dive into some controversial things. What a good teaser. Yeah. (laughs) Stay tuned. I love that idea because I really do feel like the polarization in society is almost asking every area to be like that. Yes. And I think people feel, and some teachers as well, that math is objective. I'm going to put that in quotes. 
because I don't think at, at all it is, but so that it shouldn't be part of these debates, but it is, it is definitely mired in the debates uh, that are happening. As you can tell by some states rejecting some textbooks. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much, it's a shame. And I also like, I have a lot to say about teaching, but I also don't have any answers and I am constantly questioning and trying new things. And I, I, I get frustrated when people just like lean in. They think they know all the answers and they've figured it out. Well, thank you again, Chris. I, I uh, just really appreciate you being here and your energy and everything you do for and in the teaching profession. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is a great conversation. Have we missed anything? I don't know. Well, <laughs> yes, right? Because this topic, I think it could be two episodes worth right. of stuff. Right. So. And it might be. <laughs> This is indeed only the first half of our episode on Believe. Teaching Like Ted Lasso will return with part two and special guest, Dr. Alana Horn. That was good. Yeah, great conversation. Yeah. Um, Chris and Lonnie were amazing. Yeah, I am a little worried. Worried about what? How 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 are we going to cut it under sixty minutes? What? <laughs> There's no way we're going to make it under sixty minutes. Listen, that's not what I want to hear from my co-host, John. Uh, sorry, it's hopeless. 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 Does, does this ring a bell, a very large bell, this what? Believe sign? You just happen to have that on you? I have these all over Mackinac. This one is in the bathroom by ours, so it's the first thing I see when I get here every morning and the last thing I see every night before I go home. <laughs> I hope that works out for you. <laughs> um, but uh, why didn't you just point to the huge Believe sign you've got up here? Or the one on your head. <laughs> <laughs>